0: So i got a question, I guess, that I want to start off with today, and, and it's a, am realizing this now that it's a rather awkward question given the theme and kind of the feel of the day so far. And the question is, what would you do if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow? What would you do if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow? It's kind of a morbid question, isn't it? Like even just... Asking that question as I was reflecting on that this week. It gave me just like a little bit of a a pit in my stomach. It's not really something that we like to, to really think about. I think all of us like to think that we can make plans and keep it, that we can look ahead in our calendars and that we're actually going to like, arrive at those things that we're looking forward to, whether it be in the next year, the next decade, you know, further on down in life as we plan for maybe retirement or kids or grandkids. We all kind of like to think that those days are going to be there. But like, what would you do if you knew that this was all that you had? was today. If you Google that question you'll get all sorts of responses and variations to that question some people like to even tighten up the time frame a little bit and say what would you do if you know you only had five minutes to live I'll stick with a day like all of a sudden now a day seems even better (laughs) if you think about it what would you do if you knew that you only had one more day to live there's some reading on the internet this week to see what some people said and here are the top categories that i found number one people said that they would spend time with the people that they love that makes sense we surround ourselves with friends and family ironically most people that i read they said that there's some in their family that they would rather not see that they would rather just even surround themselves with friends i think that speaks to there's a lot of brokenness in relationships in our world today but they want to spend time with people that they love Another category that that kind of became very evident was they wanted to have a drama-free day. Man, wouldn't that be nice, huh? Have a drama-free day. They want to spend the day laughing and smiling. They want to hug people that are close to them. Uh, I like what one lady said. She said, I would drop all of the selfish stuff and I would spend the day with family and eat french fries. Like, I'm with her. That sounds like a really good plan. And in fact, the number one thing that people said, like, if they knew that they only had one more day to live, they said, I would eat the best food that I could possibly find. Like, that was a reoccurring one. It came down to the the food, even, that they would eat. A guy named Tim said that he would go skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. (laughs) Anybody? I'm sorry. It's a heavy topic. I got to try to lighten it up, just uh, just a little bit. I also read about a guy who who says that he has a countdown timer on his desk that is set for his predicted day and time of his death. It's just sitting there, right on his desk, and every day he looks at it and he sees it just counting down by the seconds, by the hours, by the days. And he said it's not about being morbid, it's about understanding his mortality. It's understanding that, like, my, my days are numbered. I don't, I'm not going to get unlimited amount of these things, and so I need to make the most of the ones that I actually have. And so there's this thing, you know, understanding that our days are limited in life, it, it should motivate us to, like, want to get the most out of every single one of them. I, I think the author of Ecclesiastes would agree, you know, look up on the screen with me it, what he says, says, it Is it better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting? It's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Now, if I had my choice, I I think I'd do that the other way around, right? Like I'd rather go to a house of feasting and avoid the mourning. But he goes on and he gives the reason for this. And he says, For death is the destiny of everyone, the living should take this to heart. I'll be honest, early in my walk with Jesus, I didn't really understand this passage. And then I started preaching more funerals. I saw families come together that had been split over silly arguments. Sometimes years, decades had gone by. They came back together, buried the hatch, they mended whatever it was because of a death. I've seen people make commitments to live differently because they came to this realization that, man, life is short. I saw family and friends hug each other a little bit more tightly because they just didn't know how many more times they would have the opportunity to say, I love you. In fact, even for me, every time I preach a funeral, I'm sure... Amber and the girls are like, would you just leave us alone? Because like, I want to go and just spend time with them and hug them and hold them. And, and like right there, because it just reminds me like how much I love them and how short our time is. I think the reason why so many people are interested in this question, the reason why Solomon says that it's better to go to a funeral than a party, the reason comes down to something that we probably all know and feel inside. And it's this, that death has a way of revealing what's most important in life, doesn't it? Death has a way of revealing what is most important in life. And all throughout scripture, we get an inside look into the final days of several people to learn from their experience about what is most important in life. One of those guys is Elijah. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. If you have a Bible app on your smartphone that you like to use, man, go ahead and pull that out. We welcome that around here. You can also follow along up on the screen um, or just go from memory from the little play by play thing that we had earlier. And you've got the gist of the text, but 2 Kings chapter 2, we're wrapping up this series this morning called Just Like Us. And over the last few weeks, uh, we've, we've taken some time to look through the life of Elijah to see how he really was just like us. He was a man who had ups and downs in life. Um, he was was someone who was faithful, uh, and then went through deep time of depression and loneliness. Uh, there were times where he felt like he was the only one who was trying to follow the Lord, and so uh, many of us can relate to that type of roller coaster ride in our faith journey. And what we've seen throughout Elijah's life is you know ways that we can delight in the Lord. Uh, we've discovered God's goodness even in the midst of difficult times. That just because we go through hardships does not mean that 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 somehow we're not loved by God anymore. We discovered His goodness in the midst of those. We talked about being determined to stand for what is right, even if we stand alone. And today we're going to be closing off this series by looking at our final D word: delegation. We wanted to keep it thematic with our Super Bowl theme, but the word handoff doesn't start with a D, and so we're going with delegation instead. (laughs) In our text today, Elijah and Elisha are walking along together. Elisha has been serving Elijah as right hand for a while now, and they both knew somehow that this was going to be Elijah's last day on earth, and I imagine that that knowledge had a way of really focusing in their topics of conversation. And they probably weren't walking around talking about the last ten pounds that they want to lose following their Christmas, you know, lunch. Imagine that their conversation wasn't really about the game last night or the weather. It's probably a little bit more focused than that. Elijah was new that he was on his way up to meet the Lord. Elisha knew that this man whom he looked up to and who had taught him so much wouldn't be with him much longer. And so on Elijah's last day, uh, we see him doing what he's always done. He's just walking with God. He's walking with God and he's pointing people to him. Look at our text with me, 2 Kings, starting in verse 1. It says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said, nope. (laughs) Like the video said, he called an audible. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. It was about an eight-mile trip. The company of the prophets at Bethel came to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, Nope, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho about 14 miles. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. It's like he's wanting to take in every last moment with his mentor that he can. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walked on about another five miles. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? And and all of these things. And and Elijah meeting with these um, these prophets at all of these different stops with Elijah asking Elisha, What can I do with you? We see that all throughout this, his main concern is that his ministry is going to continue even after he departs. This is what Elisha says. He says, Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied. And Elisha didn't ask this for his own glory or for his own power or or for people to look at him in awe the way that they looked at Elijah. He knew what a loss that Elijah's ministry was going to be. And he was very well aware of his inability to step into his shoes. And so Elisha's request has less to do with something that he wanted and more to do with something that he knew that he needed to continue Elijah's ministry. And so Elijah continues in verse 10, "'You have asked a difficult thing, "'yet if you see me when I am taken from you, "'it will be yours, otherwise it will not. "'And as they were walking along and talking together, "'suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire "'appeared and separated the two of them, "'and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. "'Elisha saw this and cried out, "'My father, my father, a term of affection, "'the chariots and horsemen of Israel. "'And Elisha saw him no more. "'This fiery prophet went out in a blaze of glory.'" Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. It was an act of mourning. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? In other words, did God answer my request? When he said this, he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. We'll stop there. So what we see in this text is that Elijah spent his last day on earth doing the things that he had always done every single other day. He was teaching, he was equipping, he was pouring into God's people. Elijah spent his last days the way that he had spent every other day. He was obedient to the Lord and he showed concern for his people. Because he had done these things these two things so well, Elijah was able to delegate his ministry into the next generation so that that work would continue. In fact, it's interesting that Scripture goes on to record twice as many miraculous events in Elijah's ministry compared to Elijah's. And so the question is, as we read through this text, like, what does this mean for us today? You guys still with me this morning? All right. What does this text mean for us today? Well, I think it actually has a lot to say to us. Part of the text that's really easy for us to gloss over are all of these places that Elijah Elijah went to on his final day. We we read kind of right over them because they're not really places or names or anything that we're familiar with, but the original audience would have been really familiar with the meaning behind these these places and why they were significant. The first place that we read of is Gilgal. Gilgal is a place of new beginnings. It's where the Israelites camped just after crossing the Jordan River to take possession of the promised land. It's where the nation of Israel began to become established. From there, they go to to Bethel, which means house of God. It's where Abraham built an altar to the Lord and worshipped God. It's where Jacob received God's promise after he dreamed of a ladder going into heaven. Then they go to Jericho. This was the scene of the very first battle in the promised land. It's Joshua leading his soldiers into battle armed with only trumpets because God was going to give them the victory. And these three places, they mirror Elijah's life. He experienced several new beginnings. He brought the nation of Israel back to worship God and he went to battle against the false prophets of Baal and God was victorious through him. But this isn't just the pattern of Elijah's life. It's also a great pattern for our life today. To make a new beginning every single day. That every day that we wake up, we get a fresh start. That God's mercies are new that day. Man, how beautiful is that? And we can make every day a new beginning. We can make worship a priority in our lives every day, not just through singing or the words that we say, but in how we live and how we act and how we treat others. We can worship God every single day. We can depend on God in the battles that we face, and we can be faithful to the very end. Author Eugene Peterson defines faithfulness like this. He says that faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. I like that. I like that definition. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And I think the point is is that faithfulness is a journey. And Like any journey, it has its shares of ups and downs. And like Elijah, there will be times where we feel like we are on top of the mountain. And there will be times where we feel like we are at the pit of the valley. And we just want to throw in the towel and give up. But faithfulness is steady, and it pushes through over time, even when we feel like life and others are pushing against us. Faithfulness is saying, Lord, give me the strength to take one more step. Give me the strength now to take one more step. It is a long obedience in the same direction. Elisha's life teaches us what it means to be faithful. And faithfulness certainly means walking closely with the Lord, but it also means it also means teaching others how to do the same. Our mission at Sherwood Oaks Christian Church is people helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. Like as a church, that's why we want to exist. People helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. And what I love about our mission is that it is others oriented. It's about each of us doing our part to help others follow Jesus, not just following Jesus ourselves, but helping others learn how to love and follow Jesus. And then they, in turn, teach others how to love and follow Jesus. Our, our mission is even reflected in one of our values that Tom mentioned earlier we mentor across generations. You see, as we help others find and follow Jesus, what we find is that our own faithfulness to the Lord begins to grow as well. Our faith becomes more meaningful and vibrant as we help others find a more meaningful and vibrant faith, as we kind of pour ourselves into them. It's the way that God designed it to to work. And so being a part of a church, listen to me now. Being a part of a church doesn't mean that you come and sit It's never what it meant. It means you go and serve. You you go and you and you serve others. You you come and you serve and you and you give yourself to others. You pour your life into others. That's what it means to be the church. I tell you, a ministry that does this well. and and probably as well as any ministry that we have here at Sherwood Oaks Bedford is our women's Bible study, our women's group. This group is made up of women from every generation. And they pour into one another in such a beautiful and meaningful way. They walk with each other through the ups and downs in life. They encourage each other in, in their faith. And sometimes it's the older ladies pouring into the younger ones, and sometimes it's the younger ones pouring into the older ones. And I think what that just represents is, like, we all need each other. It doesn't matter where we are in the faith spectrum. It doesn't matter where we are in our age or stage of life. Like, we need to learn from one another. We have something to offer each one of us. And this women's Bible study, they get that and they embrace that. They're helping each other find and follow Jesus in the midst of life. So, ladies, if you'd like to be a part of that group, I know that they would love to have you. Their spring study is going to be launching here in just a couple of weeks. There's some more information about it in your bulletin. There's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby. Man, go and get connected with that group. Be a great step for you to plug into. We have life groups that meet through the week. We have men's Bible study that meets on the first Saturday of each month. We have one that's getting ready to start meeting on a on a, on a, a couple of times a month basis. We have serving opportunities in the church and in the community. There are so many ways that you can connect with others here at the church and help your faith grow, help the faith of other people grow. There's one more place in our text today that's important for us to know, and that's the Jordan River. The Jordan River was significant for many reasons to the original audience, but centuries later, after the time of Elijah and Elisha, Jesus would stand in the Jordan River and be baptized. And what the gospel writers say is that when Jesus came up out of the baptism waters, the sky parted, the spirit descended like a dove, and a voice of God was heard saying, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. A few years later, Jesus is about to return to to heaven following his death, burial, and resurrection, but he assures his his followers that, hey, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then he tells them something absolutely profound, the same thing that he tells us today, that you are going to go on with the Holy Spirit inside of you and do even more than what you saw me do. And like we read something like that and we think, man, Jesus, you did a lot. But he's saying, no, listen, there's a handoff that's about ready to happen, it's about ready to take place and you're going to go on and do things even greater than what I did. He promises the, the Holy Spirit and he hands his ministry off to them. And the disciples go on and they tell others the good news about Jesus and the hope and the forgiveness and the abundant life that can be found in him. They start churches where people gather and they serve one another. They made disciples who would follow Jesus and they turn around and make more disciples They invited them to find the same life and grace and forgiveness that they had found in Christ all through the power of the Holy Spirit working and moving in them. it's that same Spirit that lives and moves and works in us and through us and now we have been handed this ministry When we go out and we grow generations of Christ-led influencers, we do not do it on our own power or by our own authority. We do it in the name of the Lord and with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. When we mentor across generations, we don't do it so that people have a little bit more wisdom to live within their life. We do it so they have more of Jesus in their life. Listen, if I knew that today were my last day on earth. I can't imagine a better way to spend it than helping someone else prepare for their tomorrow. Helping someone find a fresh start and a new beginning. Helping someone worship God and find victory over sin and death through Jesus. Helping someone find the comfort of the Lord in their life helping them live a spirit-led life that pours into others. That's true. If there's no better way to spend our final day on earth than helping someone else prepare for their tomorrow, then why can't we start that today? Like, why can't we do that today? I'm gonna close with one final question. The question is this. What legacy are you leaving the people that you love? What legacy are you leaving the people that you love? So when your days are up and people are standing around reflecting on your life, what will they remember? Maybe more importantly, how will they be better because of you? Elijah spent his final day on earth the way that he had spent all his others. He was teaching, he was equipping, and he pointed people to the Lord in the day-to-day of life, we can get pretty caught up in the mundane and in trivial things, or we can spend our days devoted to what matters most. I'll close with this. I saw a Peanuts cartoon last week. The great theologian Charlie Brown is sitting there overlooking a lake with his buddy Snoopy, and he says, someday we will all die, Snoopy. Snoopy says, true. True. But on all the other days, we will not. And may we go out and take the days that we have, however many it is that God gives us. May we walk faithfully with the Lord and the power of his Holy Spirit, helping others find and follow Jesus. I cannot think of anything better that we can give our lives to. Why don't you stand with me? And I'll pray. Yeah, thank you for just uh, this account of Elijah and Elisha. Thank you for this prophet who lived such a meaningful, vibrant life, calling out sin where he saw it, pointing people back to you, relating to them how much you love and care for them, how much you desire a relationship with them. And Lord, that same message that you spoke through Elijah, you speak to us today. We are loved by you and we didn't do a thing to earn it. You gave it to us freely and you showed us that through Jesus. But Lord, you have not only spoke that message to us, but God, you want to speak now that message through us. And so as we leave this place today, Lord, as we go about our lives, man, my prayer, Lord, is that we will be looking for the people in our life that that are just living far from you, that they're not yet followers of Jesus and we will love them well. And we'll invest our lives in them. We'll point them to the abundant life that can only be found in Jesus. May our life be about handing off this gift of grace that we have received to others. So Lord, as a church, may that be what we're about. May that be our mission. For the person that is here today, God, that is living far from you, that just thinks there's no way this love and this grace can be for them, And I pray that you will impress in their heart, even right now, that it is. That Jesus died for them just as much as he did for anyone else. And that today can be a day of new beginnings for them. It can be a day where they live a life of worship that glorifies and honors you. It can be a day where they can be victorious over their sin and shame because of faith in Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen.